Before we wander on into the episode, I just want to make sure that everyone goes out there and hits up the YouTube, check out the Spotify, check out Apple, wherever you're listening or watching to this ep- uh, podcast, is to go down, like it, subscribe, hit the bell if it's YouTube, make sure you're getting those reminders. We do put these out every week, um, so make sure you do to do all that. It helps us out, and in the long run, we can make better things. So again, like, subscribe, all that fun stuff. That averages, I mean, you could do the math. It's 14 days, 2,700 miles. What does that average out to? Like 200 some odd miles a day? Yeah, it's got it. I'm going to do that math real quick. <laughs> <laughs> 2,700 divided by 14. Yeah, 192 miles a day. Ooh, cooking nuts. Yeah, it's crazy. And our, our longest day, not our fastest. We can wander our way over, you know, because this is wandering ways. What's Bigfoot possibility? Clink! What's up? What's up? How we Wander- doing? Wanderers unite! <laughs> no, it's all good, my guy. I'm just, I'm pumped. What you don't realize is I like this. This episode was just recorded, and I was like ah, busting my ass to get back to Billings. I was late to the recording session time, and I had to introduce Mark and James. They've never met before. I had to introduce you two for the first time. Like I was like, ah, you know what? They'll hit it off. It'll be fine. <laughs> no, no, it was good. No, no, no. We have a great interview coming up. I actually thought I was going to be the one late today because um, I have so much more free time now, <laughs> and I have been just using it all. <laughs> um, so I was afraid I wasn't going to get here in time. <laughs> no, I, I was. Have, I've been off doing. I, I'm barely home still, and I have, and I'm not at work though. <laughs> you're you're good you need it you worked a lot i man i had to drive 90 miles back and i was busting ass back and i don't think i i slammed my hood down all the way because the one side was kind of lifting up at points you get behind a truck and it really start going you're like, <laughs> oh god like and then i didn't like really like all the way tighten down the roof rack that i had hayden we drove over to pray this weekend i had Hayden custom build me a roof rack for the jeep uh fits but perfect in with the manufacturer OEM rails. So, right, you know, perfect, good, good cream of the crop, you know, type stuff. And uh, it's beautiful. Um, but I didn't, I didn't tighten it down all the way, you know, with the bolts, because I have my roof rack essentially tightened down to the roof thing he built. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I got to paint these things when I get back to Billings. I was like, oh, I'll just hand tighten them, man. So you just, you hear things shake a little bit sometimes on the interstate, you hit a bump, you're like, oh, let's hope to God this thing don't fall, you know? And I, you know, it's my first time being around his welding, you know, he's talented at what he does. And the weld is like, I have my high lift, which is a really heavy tool, sitting just right up on these two pins. It'll hold, it'll hold. And I'm sitting there on the interstate, like, watch one of these fucking, we welded these today. One of these pins is going to just bust off. <laughs> things going to fall off. And I'm going to be like, oh, God damn it. And I'm going to be late for the interview. <laughs> I'm not, though. I'm here. No, you made it. You made it um, late, but you were late. <laughs> uh, yeah. Not too bad. Not too bad, though. Um, yeah, enough time for you guys to warm up so that the interview didn't have to be aw- awkward at the beginning. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't think it would have been awkward either way. Um, I mean, shoot, we didn't talk about bikes purposely before you got there. And I mean, as soon as we started talking bikes, it was it was game on. <laughs> you still haven't mentioned what kind of bike you have. Oh, that's right. I mean, I to be fair, so I mentioned I have the Trek that I bike, um, that I have as a mountain bike. Um, Matt buddy wants to buy it, but I told him, no, I'm going to actually start using it again. Um, <laughs> but I, for my main bike that I use and the one I'm using in my, uh, triathlon that I got coming up at the end of June, which from when this comes out is, I think, let me do some math here is, well, I hit a button. It's going to be, it's not very far out. It's one 
two and a half weeks from this moment right now that you're listening to this. Well, the moment that this episode came out. I, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, you can always go moment. back to our episodes and yeah. listen to our episodes. They don't just go away on the day they come out. You can go back. Oh, to that's them. that's true. So, no, the, and that bike, what it is, is it's a specialized Diverge. Uh, specialized is the company for people that aren't bike savvy. Uh, I know when I was first getting in the uh, bikes and people kept calling it the special or specialized, I was like, what's so special about the bike? I don't understand. It. <laughs> but no, that's the brand of the bike. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and it's a diverge, it's a gravel bike. So it can go actually on from road to gravel roads. Um, it's not made to go down like big, big jumps or anything like a mountain bike. Um Essentially, the reason why gravel bikes are a thing is because road cyclists got tired of being on the road and they kept seeing these like gravel roads or logging roads. And they're like, let's go on that road. And so they made a bike that can do both. <laughs> nice. No, that makes sense. And uh, for especially, you know, you walk some of our hiking paths, you end up walking on places like that and you do see that shared the road kind of yeah mentality with 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 bikers um i'm just curious i want to i want to kind of poke your brain uh and kind of surprise our listeners we talk about something really cool we talk about uh the a race that james actually competes in uh on the continental divide trail so definitely stay tuned to let episode to listen yeah to that's that. actually I'm, a really cool part of the would you would you do this race that he brought up <laughs> like i saw i saw the light bulb go on yeah um i don't part of me would say yeah i would you know it sounds I, like I, just, I don't want to it sound oh, 100 sounds like me and so that's why i think i would consider it but the thing is is like i you know i said i don't know if i said it in the interview or off interview or off podcast but i want to run the iron man and so i want to get that part done first before i do any other bigger kind of things so there. definitely like if i did it wouldn't be for like five years um type hey thing. i have totally. i do really want to do a long bike trip um whether it's just oregon whether it's across the country or just something um i do want to if it is this one maybe it is that one but this one just kind of is a good one because you heard about it i feel you yeah i mean it's kind of nuts i don't want to give away a lot of it um, yeah, I know. Oh, well, good. Just don't. But, <laughs> well, just like just talk about it using the describing factors. Yeah, I mean, it blew my mind. <laughs> I bet lie. it did. I, you're like, I get to touch the border wall. That's the finish line. Hell yeah! Uh, mainly the speed people are going at. <laughs> I know. But, um, but let's not fret any longer. Let's just jump into the podcast um, right now. So, anyways, uh, let's bring on James. All righty, we are back, and this time we have our good friend James here to talk about mountain biking and biking probably just in general. Um, anyways, we just want to start off, maybe James, introduce yourself, uh, tell us what you're doing right now, uh, and I, I'm just going to jump right into the first question that I had lined up, like how did you get started into mountain biking in general? Yeah, so I'm James. Uh, I'm currently living in Billings, Montana. Uh, I, uh, I got started mountain biking growing up, honestly. So my parents, the house I grew up in uh, was in the middle, like it was a little cul-de-sac neighborhood that just stuck into uh, a state park in Washington, Seattle area. So you could walk out, not my back door, but a lot of my friends' houses, it would just be, their back doors would be a little strip of lawn and then just trees and trails so you know I don't think I've well until I got to college I don't think I ever actually owned a road bike it was all just you know what we did growing up like get on your bike disappear into the woods all day and then be home for dinner so that's kind of how it started that's cool. <laughs> yeah that's real cool um I'm assuming it's probably a lot of single track if it's out in the woods and stuff like that yeah, mostly single track. We were uh, we were hooligans, you know. We'd try state park. There were rangers, but not many. Um, so you know, as we got older, into like early middle school, or uh, we'd we'd put shovels on our handlebars and ride all the way out to a corner where we thought we wouldn't get caught and hike into the trees off trail and dig jumps and stuff. You know, it's a really hilly area, so you could do. We had a couple little hidden spots that were kind of like 
I'd call it downhill freestyle kind of stuff, but you know, we okay. were middle schoolers. It wasn't anything huge, but, but you know, as we grew, our jumps got bigger and so on and so forth. I don't do much of that anymore. I'm, I'm 31. I don't bounce. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I don't do any of the jumps mainly because I'm not good at it. Um, I I'm more of a flowy. I like the flowy kind of just riding. Uh, you can get some real speed, maybe hit a corner here or there, but when it comes to the jumps, man, I, I pucker up and pull out. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm trying to, I took a break from mountain biking through college, just didn't have time and didn't have money. And I mean, Zach, I'm, you're probably sort of adjacently aware of, of how expensive mountain bikes really are when you start like really getting into it. It gets really spendy really quick. And so as a college student, it's like, yeah. you want to cart around a, a $1,500 and then the sky's the limit above that. Um, bike while you're in college risk it getting stolen in town it's got to live somewhere your apartment probably doesn't have a garage like you know so I took a break and kind of fell off all the jump stuff so to speak and uh just a couple of years ago I bought a dirt jump bike from a friend and I'm trying to get back into it but it's scary yeah I, I definitely have to like talk myself in like don't don't chicken don't chicken you know there's a speaking of how expensive it is I saw a really funny video um this guy was going to do like a YouTube video of a cost analysis of his bike. And like mm -hmm. he plays the part of his wife or a significant other comes in and says, Oh, what are you doing? And he's like, Oh, I'm going to do a cost analysis of all the different parts of my bike for YouTube. And she goes, Oh, continue. And just stands there looking at him and he goes, <laughs> uh, yeah. So this handlebar, this set, uh, you know, really great deal. $15. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> just starts going through it at all of these prices that are nowhere near like the yeah. actual prices yeah you come out with a bike that's like oh you know that's a 200 bike and you know i don't i don't try to i'm not trying to like cost shame people but a lot of people just don't realize that like once you get above that kind of like um oh kind of your like big big box store complete you just like walk in buy one off the shelf you know those are even on the high end, those are like six, 700 bucks, which is uh, makes some people really like bulk. And then you realize like, nah, even like, even giant makes some stuff down to like six, 700 bucks. But if you want anywhere, decent suspension, anywhere, decent running gear, anything like that, you're, like I said, you're talking 12 maybe is the lowest I'd want to go on like a 1200 bucks is my personal, probably low end on a good, like technical capable mountain bike. Yeah, that would be, I, I'd probably agree with that one. The, when I got started into mountain biking, um, it was actually when I moved down to Humboldt, um, I bought this like $700 Trek bike. Okay. It was, my main purpose was to actually just drive from work, uh, home to work. That's what I wanted to use it mostly. And you could call it a mountain bike. I mean, it's kind of got suspension. It's definitely not made for it. But my boss yeah. was like, hey, I mountain bike and there's trails literally behind campus. Do you want to go? And I was like, I've never done it. Let's do it. <laughs> and so yeah. um, that's how I got in. And now I, I still have that bike, but it's probably honestly worth more than $750 because I break it and put a new piece on <laughs> it. And yeah, so sure. it's now the, the worth has gone up because I didn't want to be in the shop every other week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, what you pay for above that amount is like, like, I'm not that great of a mountain biker. I mean, I, I compared to some people, sure, but I'm not going to sit here and like say I'm the best, but <laughs> you like, are. There are, it's okay, James. There are it's pro okay. riders. There are, of course, like pro downhillers could get on any bike and yeah. absolutely crush it. So, you know, you pay for making this a little bit easier or that a little bit smoother or whatever. So. For sure. My, yeah. my boss down there, he has, he has a nice mountain bike and every now and then I would take it down or take it up some hills and like, you can, mm -hmm. you can feel the difference. I mean, you, I, you feel the roots on my bike on his, it's mm -hmm. like going over clouds. Cause he's just got the yeah. suspensions and everything. You're just like, Whoa, I can see why you fly down these hills. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. What, what, how far suspension technologies come to. Yeah. You know, back back in the day, and by that I mean like the nine late nineties, um, it was pretty common you get elastomer shocks. So the actual spring in the shock 
is a piece of like hard rubber soft plastic kind of material and that worked fine-ish when they were brand new but that plastic hardened up over time so you'd end up basically with a fully rigid mountain bike after like a couple of years um and the service for that you i believe you'd have to pull those little elastomer chunks out and either oil them or just replace them i'm not quite sure but now you know you can get a an air sprung shock that weighs nothing and does just as well if not better than most of the coil sprung stuff out there unless you're talking like full-size downhill mountain biking like like Red Bull, you know, Rampage, all that stuff. Yeah, it was great. I, I mean, I'm not super knowledgeable on the suspension systems, but you know, he would put air into his suspensions like every every ride mm-hmm. or so. Um, to and because I mean, he sometimes would hit some. He hit all the jumps. I I, yeah. I went either around him or I'd roll him. Um, but you know, he so he'd come down hard sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have to, so those, that suspension, the air sprung suspension will leak slowly, slowly over time. Um, so you got to tune it to your own body weight. So that's, that's probably the reason he's doing that. And you can kind of mess with a little bit. If you know, you're going to go do a you know big day where you're hitting giant stuff, you can air up a little bit, whatever. Um, the coil sprung, you know, ideally your suspension is always tuned to your body weight. So coil sprung, which is just your traditional spring, um, is a little bit heavier. And as long as you're confident that your body weight's not going to change um, super drastically when you buy that, you don't have to replace the spring. You just buy it with the spring that kind of matches your body weight and you're good to go. And I actually kind of prefer coil sprung. I don't currently own any. Um, the, the resistance curve is a little bit less spiky. So air sprung, I guess I'll go this way. Uh, air sprung, the graph is really, really low at the bottom. And then right at the end of your travel, the resistance spikes really hard. So you can blow through almost all of your travel. And then the last little bit's going to be really, really hard. Uh, coil spring is a lot more mellow of a curve. So it kind of kind of ramps up more gradually rather than having a spike at the end. So you can use a lot more of your, your suspension before you blow through it all. Um, uh, that makes sense. Which, you know, um, air sprung, air spring technologies come a long, long, long way. It used to feel like a bouncy ball. You know, if you've ever taken like a, like a bike pump and plugged to the end and then tried to push down on the plunger when you take your hand off and just goes shooting back up. So damping technology and all that. It's just, it's amazing. Even in like 10 years, it all, as far as I know, it all comes from the moto uh, guys. They're just making, you know, motocross stuff smaller and lighter oh, enough that it can go on a, on a bicycle. Yeah. That would make sense that they're the ones kind of Pushing. running through it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you're putting that bam, 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 bzee, bee, bee. Mm-hmm. Well, and I don't, I don't know if it's causal, if it's a causal relationship or, or what, but like, is better suspension technology allowing bicycle guys to go bigger? Or is the, are bicycle guys going bigger so the suspension technology has to get better to keep up? I don't are really you, know. Are you saying the bigger tires that I'm seeing a lot more of on the road, like people driving those big fat tire bikes? Uh, so not necessarily some, I'm still talking mostly suspension, but the fat tire stuff, um, that that's actually a whole different can of worms that comes from people snow biking in Alaska originally. Okay. Um, Snow bike races in the winter in Alaska. And what they do is they'd cut, um, take a grinder and cut a standard bike rim in half the long way, weld a section in the middle and then weld the other side back on to make a a wider rim. And then I think they seated like i don't know what the tires were because it's a funky tire like you couldn't just stick a standard tire on it but yeah that's where those came from and now i think mostly it's like hipster value you know if you if you had one before anybody knew what the hell they were it just looked kind of cool it was a head turner and like someone who's in the bike scene would see it and be like oh dude did you race whatever that race was in alaska now it's just kind of like it looks kind of fun they handle decent in snow or deep sand too. Yeah, that's what I heard is they're mostly used for, I heard sand. I didn't think the snow, but that makes a lot of that's, sense for snow. That's the the story, I guess, that I've heard. I don't know if I like read an article or somebody told me, but apparently like, again, the 90s, just guys, you know, bored bike shop dudes in the winter just figuring out how to Frankenstein something together so they could keep riding. 
It makes sense, though, when you think about it, just because up there, it's winter most of the time. We don't yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, for sure. Um, how often are you getting out nowadays? Oh, man. Well, not very much recently. The season's about to start, but then it gets hot, so you got to get out early or late. Um, you know, there are guys that even some I do try. I try to get out, like, once a week. It's tough, though. Um, yeah. Yeah. I need, I need to get out more, but that's kind of anybody that runs or bikes or has any kind of hobby knows how that goes. Like, yeah, this is my thing. Okay, well, how often do you actually do it? Well, once a month? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> when I can, really. And that's 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 what's good about it. And I, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, you. Uh, what's nice about Billings is there's a lot of good trails actually around Billings. Mm-hmm. Um, and we actually do an episode on Eastern Montana, you know, and Eastern Montana Billings is in that. And like, that's one thing I, I think people don't get is like the rims here. Like you can bike them. There's tons of bike paths all throughout town. Um, yeah. one of, wasn't it what voted one of the most like bike friendly towns in America based on like, like the outdoorsy trails we have? It was, that was, um, I'm going to, I'm going to out that study a little bit. That was okay. one of those deals where, uh, yes, it was, but that was one of the, if you're talking about the outside magazine one, I think so. um, that one was one of those deals where like every voter can vote once a day. So as long as you keep your campaign going in town, you know, so we just yeah. had a big enough voter base that just stuck in a vote every day so we kind of nominated ourselves but i guess that says something about how like proud we are of what we have yeah i mean i would say i mean you see it here in town you see the mountain you see the bikes there is some good really good Mm -hmm. bike shops in town too yeah yeah we've got a really good bike scene um one of the problems that we have with our trail system is our inability to market it so uh it crisscrosses the land out here, the public land is checkerboarded with private land. And that's literally a checkerboard in most places. There are a few places where private owners have bought up more than one piece of the checkerboard. But if, it, if it's been unmessed with, it's a checkerboard. So what happened when these trails were originally put in, this was just like non-arable whatever land, like Reberg bought yeah, a bunch people. of land. And like, yeah, some, just some guy. And didn't care what anybody was doing on it. Just don't light it on fire. Um, But those trails got established enough that years down the road, when that person wants to put a house on that land or whatever, um, there is uh, an easement that allows that trail to continue to exist. Basically, that trail is still being used. It's been there for long enough. You can't just bulldoze the trail and build a house, which is pretty cool. But yeah. it means that, like, as the houses get built, and those homeowners aren't necessarily stoked that they still just have, like, beer-drinking shithead bikers riding through their backyard, right? That um, makes that makes sense, though, because when you go over to that, uh, was that West Park or whatever off of Shiloh, off by Rimrock there, they have that big, like, cement path for bikes that goes through their neighborhood. Yeah yeah okay. so i don't i mean i i don't ride down there that often i don't know if that is one of those but that is how it works up on the rims yeah, and trying, trying to remember why i brought that up oh uh the deal with the landowners in most cases is you can still have these trails we're not going to mess with you you just can't publicize it and publicize it includes making maps of any kind oh. um, and it's a spider web of trails up there it's if you don't know where you're going it's pretty easy to get lost so I mean, you can bring friends, whatever. And there are people who have done hand-drawn maps and, like, photocopied them and handed them out, whatever. But in terms of, like, billingstourism.org or whatever, publishing a really good satellite view map of all trails with all the difficulty ratings and all that stuff, we just, we can't. Um, So it's lesser known here. You know, people talk a lot about the kind of more, uh, I guess, traditionally is the word I'm going to use touristy cities like Missoula or Bozeman or these kind of cute little high Rocky Mountain towns as having good biking as and they do but Billings also has good biking and in some cases better but no one knows about it so no it makes sense you have the space Uh, yeah we do yeah and a lot of it's not even like grazable so you know it's technically grazing land by law. Like, oh, cows can eat here, but it's just a pile of rocks. Like, what? <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
and it's yeah it's that like sandstony rock where it's like what what's good with this yeah i like i mean i I do like eastern montana i try to get mark out here quite a bit um as much as i can because there's something to it yeah Yeah. i've only been a couple times though only been a couple times we Uh, call it uh we joke that it's mini moab because it's so rocky out here it's just techie there's not there's basically no flow trails out here oh really (laughs) there are a few but they're not in town you got to go to acton for that it's like a half hour drive outside of town but we're we're getting there but acton's not terrible that's a pretty good well-established one it is and it's getting more and more established you know the trails in town are getting busy enough that the people who really really want to ride or they'll just say like screw it i'm gonna drive to acton and that is more of a flow trail situation so there's a road that goes down into some farmland and it's a it's a dirt road that's pretty rudimentary but we, it's, it at least allows, the existence of the road allows us to have single direction of travel trails out there, which is pretty cool. It's the only thing like it anywhere close to Billings. Oh, wow. I didn't, I didn't know that. I, I'm just taking my Jeep out there. Yeah. That's my hobby, right? When you guys are talking dollar bills and everything, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. When you're like, yeah, that, that little gas can, that's how much that costs. <laughs> or, yeah. Oh, I got to do this fucking thing? Yeah. I get yeah. it. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it gets real quick for you. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh. yeah, yeah. That's why you gotta have a guy like Hayden to custom weld shit for you. you gotta know yeah. a guy that knows a guy. Mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> so I was kind of thinking of getting into sport fishing again, but I feel like I need a good quality net. Well, you know what, Reverend, I got the key solution for you. You know, our friends at Blue Ribbon Net make this eco-friendly aquafade bag so you're not hurting the environment. It's 100% biodegradable. Plus, the wood is locally sourced and it is also biodegradable and it's just such a great company to use. Um, The Blue Ribbon Nets, they're here in Bozeman, Montana, and we even have a discount code. That's right. If you use the code RUGARU10, that's right. That's my Jeep, the RUGARU. RUGARU10, R-U-G-A-R-U-1-0. You're going to get some discount on a blue ribbon net. You know, you can get the long one if you're fishing the big fish, or you can get just the good river one, you know, if you're like me and just want to catch a lot of fish. So again, make sure you go check out Blue Ribbon and use the promo code RUGARU10. Hey, hey there, Reverend. Um, I heard that you might be running dry on your sticker supplier. Yeah, I've been looking around and I've kind of like run out of cool stickers to buy and put on water bottles and stuff. Well, I, I mean, have you seen the stuff Josh has been coming out with lately? No, I have not. Well, he is doing some really cool stuff with the Shop LS574. Yes, they're working with indigenous communities and making some really cool stickers um he has a really cool buffalo mountain sticker there's even water bottles hats sweatshirts the whole swag and we even got a discount code for you guys yes if you use wandering ways at shop ls574 you're going to be getting a discount on your next purchase but not only that you're going to be giving a percentage of that sale to the little shell tribe as well as they donate a dollar of every sale to murdered and missing indigenous women. So just such a cool thing going on there. You know, you use the code WANDERINGWAYS, W-A-N-D-E-R-I-N-G-W-A-Y-S, and you put that in there, boom, you're getting a discount. Anyways, biking, there's a lot of cool shit that happens with biking. And speaking of cool shit, James, we have a reoccurring theme on this podcast roughly about this time through where we show uh, some videos, pictures of cool shit in nature, or as I call it, just cool shit in nature. Um, So this week I have lined up two for you, uh, for all of us. Um, One of them actually is pertinent to uh, what we're talking about today, but that's the second one. This one here is just a cool picture of a bunch of i believe starlings are these birds. oh that's birds yeah oh, and they just there's so many of them they form like a mass like almost 
I don't know what you really would call that. That's amazing. A flock of birds? I was trying to, I knew there was a term for it and it's in the URL up there. It's a murmuration, apparently. A murmuration. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of them. And I mean, they make like a, you know, you imagine you see bugs look like that all the time, you know, like the big cloud of bugs. That's amazing. Yeah. The thing that gets me is like, we we just don't as far as i know we still just have no idea why they do that oh yeah in the form in like how why they do it in the different like um yeah shapes and all that yeah yeah i don't think we do know exactly why i'd want to know yeah i'm sure there's a lot of people that want to know because like that like like even like geese and whatnot like all bird like they move in such like a synchronic synchronizing way you know Mm-hmm. yeah anyways here's the second one it's just mountain biking because that's some cool shit in nature i just i had a little extra time to find it and i found like the it, it took me maybe like a minute to find a mountain biking video on my instagram feed uh, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. dude's got some good flow Ooh, nice yeah no i thought this, this one good? would be fun because of what we're talking about today <laughs> are either yeah. of you this good no no Oh, okay. <laughs> no. I, no. At least not in the air. I can't do what that guy's doing. You can't do the jumps. Yeah, not I'm not getting air time. That's wild, actually. Because there are yeah, some yeah. huge jumps that he's doing. I might be able to roll one or two of those, but for the most part, I'm not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I get it. I mean, I get it. I, I tried it. My dad has a little, he built a little loader ramp. Uh, for his yeah. tractor so he could back his truck right up to it and i, I tried taking my brother's uh, bmx bike off it and i just face planted into the gravel <laughs> so it, was, it yeah. wasn't good there, there's some techniques to learn before you just go like send it off with something for sure <laughs> i mean i tried yeah for sure That's- do you do you have any uh, gnarly crashes oh i've got one and there's i don't really have any like well i have two one is a way worse or a way dumber crash but a worse injury um the one that didn't injure me but looked like it really could have one of the trails we have up here um there's a really stupid techie climb not very tall but really really steep with a bunch of big rocks sticking out of it you just kind of have to monster truck your way through it and at the top you end up in like uh like a drainage where a creek comes down and you kind of cross the creek and go out the other side but the trail the way the trail is situated when it crosses the creek if you fall to the downhill side you end up in the creek bed and it's maybe five feet down but it's a creek bed so it's full of rocks and trees yeah. and gnarly shit um and i made this climb but i was going really really slow too slow to keep my balance around the corner and just like kind of high-sided went like up over my handlebars and took a dive into the creek head well creek bed head first and it was fun but everyone around me was like, oh, shit, we're going to have to walk James out of here. Like, yeah. God damn it, he's broken something. But no, that, that one was scary, but I didn't hurt anything. And the other time was biking without a helmet, very, very drunk, um, <laughs> in town with my girlfriend, riding home from the bar. And I've never been able to do like a, like a nose manual, not a stoppy where you just jam on the front brakes and like in place, but like lightly jam on the front brakes and just get your rear up and then just kind of keep traveling, right? never been able to do that even sober drunk brain was like i'm gonna show off to emily <laughs> what happened was at full tick on my the bike i actually did the the um divide route on which has real grabby brakes i just was going as fast as i could and jammed on the front brake as hard as i could and just went flying and whacked a pretty good hole in my uh, scalp <laughs> oh, God. and middle middle of the afternoon in the summer so it's still broad daylight out and here i am sprawled out on the sidewalk with blood all over my face <laughs> yeah so, uh, kids ride with a helmet and if you can help it don't ride super super drunk <laughs> <laughs> that's always important uh, both parts um, I, I have crashed many a times on the mountain bike um there's one time i even caught one on the my gopro i had a gopro on my i may have had it on my chest for one but i was going down this one section and again because i have kind of a cheaper like trek it's so bumpy Mm -hmm. that my chain would literally just fall off and so i'd lose i couldn't pedal anymore so right 
my thought was, let's take a different line when I go down that's not as bumpy. And so I'm going down and I just got too much speed. And you can see like in the video, I just like reach out and you can see my hand and I just go toppling over. And then uh, it's just oh, me laying on the yeah. ground and you just hear me laughing my ass off at how dumb I was. <laughs> yeah. Thank goodness. Most, most of those crashes, you end up just laughing. But yeah. You can get unlucky, you know, it's oh, funny yeah. how, like I was riding with a gal years ago who was riding clipless which confusingly is what it's called when your shoes are clipped to your pedals um she was riding clipless and she came to a stop and just couldn't get her foot out in time really accomplished mountain biker like super super fast really really good just couldn't get her foot out in time and just tipped over into a bush and ended up like i think she fractured her hip like oh just just tipped over at a stop wow. and yet you know just classic can, uh, pancake <laughs> yeah just total pancake wow so you just wow. catch catch the wrong rock or the wrong bush on the wrong day. Yeah, that I mean that's very true. <laughs> well, you hinted to it earlier, and I'm curious. I want to know more about your continental divide trip, the preparation, because you put a lot into this. I know because you were planning on doing the whole thing, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. That was that was the idea. So my girlfriend and I, you know, we knew we wanted to do a big trip. Um, we started looking at like endurance routes, uh, uh, you know, self-supported mountain bike routes, things like that. Uh, globally, we didn't know where the hell we were going to go, but we were building our bikes. We both have the same bikes. They're uh, crust scapegoats is what they're called. It's a kind of boutique brand, I think out of Australia, or at least the guy who owns the company is Australian. Okay. Um, uh, but he makes this bike frame that's sort of unique. The, the scapegoat is sort of unique in that the brake, the hydraulic brake rotor spacing, again, nuts and boltsy again, is the same in the front and the rear, which is uncommon, which means you can swap your front and rear wheels if you have to. Um, so what most people do with them is they'll, when they build a wheel or have a wheel built, they'll build two rear wheels and run a rear wheel as your front wheel as well. So you, if you, if you put your cogs on your front wheel or your, yeah, if you put your cassette on your front wheel, if your, if your rear cassette goes out in the middle of the backcountry, you could just slap some gears on your front wheel, swap your wheels and keep going. Um, it's also, they're steel frame bikes, which is a little heavy, but you can uh, stick weld steel and if you're in the middle of the boonies in South America, somebody's got a car battery and some jumper cables, right? Like, so you can weld your bike. Um, you, you can bang it straight with a rock you, if you like bend it in some way where aluminum is a little more sensitive to that. And obviously carbon fiber, if you break it, you're just toast. Yeah. So anyway, we were, we were building these bikes. And we were kind of like, all right, we're going to have hardware before we know where we're going. And then we decided on the Tour Divide, which is, the name of the bike race that happens on the Great Divide Trail, which at the time went from Banff, Canada to Antelope Wells, New Mexico, which is a border town. So the finish line is touching the border fence. Um, and that's 27, that's 2,700 miles. That was the goal. We made it 713 miles. Um, it took us two weeks to do that. And the day we, the day we decided to call it quits was the day the first guy finished whoa yeah yeah so we were still in montana by like two miles we had like two miles left before we were going to be in uh southern idaho the route kind of go dips in southern idaho just for a second and the guy was in antelope wells that's, that's wow. some serious mileage that averages i mean you could do the math it's 14 days 2700 miles what does that average out to like 200 some odd miles a day yeah, it's got it. I'm going to do that math real quick. <laughs> 2,700 divided by 14. Yeah, 192 miles a day. Ooh, cooking. That's nuts. Yeah, it's crazy. And our, our longest day, not our fastest day, but our longest day that we did was uh, 96 miles. And that took like 13 hours or something. Wow. Those, the dudes that, well, and the people, uh, one of the fastest endurance riders in the world right now it, in fact she might be the fastest is a is a woman from alaska wow. oh wow yeah 
she rode actually she was on that race the year we rode and she rode from wherever she lives in alaska i think it's southeastern she might be like a anchorage or something she rode from anchorage or wherever she's from uh to band with like a week to spare and then started the race and <laughs> yeah God. bonkers absolutely nuts these That's people literally like, prob- she probably doesn't have a car <laughs> I mean, who knows? She's, yeah. Her name's Lail. Her name's Lail Wilcox. She's an absolute badass. Wow! I'm writing that one down because I'm gonna look her up. Mark's gonna look it up. He's gonna say she's got a book, and I'm gonna read it. <laughs> <laughs> she might. I don't know. She's super cool. I don't. The guy there. The the outright record for this race was set by a guy whose name escapes me now, but it was set shit i want to say five years ago but that's not right because that's like basically when we rode it was like five years before that so i don't know eight ten years ago and he was killed doing a trans australia race by one of the truck trains he was in the middle of the boonies um you know no lights nothing he and a guy were were competing the story i've been told anyway he and a guy were kind of head and head like trading spots on first place and the guy that he was competing against pulled off to get a little bit of rest. And the world record setter, I wish I could remember his name, rode by without any lights on so that the other guy wouldn't know that he'd been passed in the middle of the night uh. and wouldn't try to like go fast to catch him again. But with his lights off, the truck driver didn't see him and, you know, just smoked him. Yeah. The cutthroat world of endurance mountain bike racing <laughs> it's a world I and mean, when you're talking the money you're talking for these bikes you know that only goes up exponentially for those guys and yeah that just tells you who what kind of players are involved in these games yeah yeah so there's you no, sure there's you, no, sh- you sure there's the truck no first oh go sorry ahead. i was just I saying was you sure the truck driver wasn't involved with that other guy yeah right <laughs> <laughs> There's no purse to any of these races, though. That's the thing. Uh, like, there's no winnings. You're not getting anything. You just I was going to say the prize money is like probably a free meal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's wild. Yeah, yeah, that's wild. But so, what kind of terrain is it like? I guess the Divide Trail. From so the route, is, we expected it to be uh, most single track, which it was not, and that makes sense. Um, it's the world's. The, by percentage of off pavement, I believe it's the world's most off pavement endurance race, and it's like ninety five percent off pavement. And oh, it's very wow. specifically off. It's very specifically off pavement, not off road. So what we ended up riding was a lot of logging roads and like gravel wow. roads and like county, like rural county access type stuff. Um, but especially north, north on the route, like right outside of Banff was very single track which was awesome because that's emily and my like that's our bread and butter we were sitting there in the parking lot waiting for the start gun to go off looking at all of these people they're like holy shit you're the fittest person i've ever seen but, but what we came to learn is that a lot of these people from all over the world um were just sort of endurance race enthusiasts of any kind so a lot of like marathon runners and like rowers and things like that that were just looking for the next challenge but didn't have the chops on a bike so one of the one of the people we met actually was from new york city like in the middle of the city new york city and her preparation which made her incredibly in shape was just spin classes but she like she bought her bike either in Banff or like right before she came like showed up to race and she did fine but like we left emily and i left all these not everyone but like three quarters of the pack in the dust for the first two days until it turned into just like gravel roads and then just people passed us oh <laughs> oh because that make that makes sense though because like you said you can kind of know what you're doing on the trails it's just fun and when you get on those other trails it's just yeah it turns into it turns into just the flat race yeah and it just turns into like who's the fittest which is fine but you know emily and i didn't do a ton of like fitness prep um, we were a lot more, like I said, our whole thing, because we didn't even know we were going to do the tour divide. We just knew we were going to do something. So we built these big, heavy, slow, um, indestructible, but big, heavy, and slow bikes. And we weren't that in shape compared to the people we were riding with or around 
Um, and so once it just became like, how far can you ride in a day on your really light bike, eat a cliff bar for dinner, get in the tent, sleep three hours, get up and do it again. That's where like, we just got left in the dust. And then you want to do, yeah, you're like, I, I would love to just camp here for a night. It'd be nice to yeah. sit by this lake or enjoy yeah. these deer. Yeah. Well, and that's, that was the other thing that we planned on doing. So again, we, we left the parking lot with like saddlebags. I, I wish I had a picture um, handy of our bags. We were like, if you see the Instagram posts of like, I trekked through Patagonia on my bike. Like that's what our bikes look like. Yeah. The people that we were with, had like one little saddlebag with like a bottle of water and their rain shell. And that was it. Um, because they knew if they could ride fast enough, far enough, they could get to the next town with the hotel and just sleep there. Oh. Um, which is what we ended up doing. We did not intend to race. We were going to tour, but we left with the race. Um, and what it turned oh. out, the way that race is set up, you kind of have to keep race pace oh. um, because of where the refill stops are and where the handiest campgrounds are and things like that. You kind of have to keep up with the race if you want to do it comfortably, um, which we didn't know. So we would do the same mileage per day as like, we were kind of middle of the pack, like maybe 56, 57% of the pack of 200 some odd people left Banff, I think oh, wow. 13 13 finished i want to say um it was a really wet year it rained almost every day we were out for two weeks oh, that's and you're just camping yeah well we camped a little bit because but because it was so freaking rainy and miserable like when we hit a town with a hotel we just said screw it we're doing a hotel um but yeah anyway so we would do the same mileage as the racers which actually kept us on race pace more so than we thought but it would take what would take a racer or someone keeping true race pace like eight hours would take us 12 or 13. Mm. So we were leaving in the dark and showing up in the dark and it just made us so exhausted and so like demoralized. Cause you leave, you might leave at the same time in the morning with everybody. And like, you make friends with people, obviously you're kind of seeing yeah. them, you leapfrog yeah. each other. And we had a good, <laughs> we had a good group of people, but when you get to like 10 o'clock in the morning and the faster riders are like, look, it's been great riding with you. I'll see you at the next town. And you just won't see them for eight hours. Which wow. was like, for someone who was doing this for the first time, there are people that do this alone, right? Like people just do this type of thing alone. You're convincing one right there. I'm just saying, <laughs> you're convincing one. And it's totally doable. And it's probably more sustainable. The people that set records on these routes do it alone because they're, they don't want to be held back by social norms right they just put your head down grind it out make miles um but we were doing it for the first time and something i just really didn't expect was how important morale would be and how important people at least for me how important other people were to that morale um i get what you're saying I get what you're, I get what you're saying you probably could have kept going huh or or was it emily that could have kept going <laughs> Well, so the day Emily got saddle sores, um, okay. and I got, um, I had repetitive stress injuries in both knees and one ankle Ooh. that were starting to get like worse and worse. Um, so when we called it, like we could have kept going and people have, there are documentaries about this route. And the one that I'm thinking of, there was a gal in like the mid two thousands was when this documentary was made. The one that I'm thinking of that rode until her both ankles were literally the size of cantaloupes and she took like a month off and then picked up where she left off and finished which good for her but like i just i was sitting there thinking like at the time what was i like 26 like whatever damage i'm, I'm not the the sports medicine guy i don't know what kind of permanent damage i could do if i keep going yeah. um you know we were and the, the, the route oh. gets drier and drier and drier as you go south. So we were looking at a whole day, one of the longest days. It would have been an 86 mile day through cow country and all like everything online, all the research that we did was like, if you can help it, if you know you're going through cow country, pack all your water. Don't try to filter anything. Ooh. So like we were we were looking at 86 miles of packing our own water the weather was gorgeous but like both of us were hurting we were 
starting to fall off of race pace. So we weren't around anyone we knew anymore. We were getting, at that point, we would only be getting further away from Billings. And we knew Emily's mom had, had said like, look, if you needed to come get picked up, let me know. And like it, the route just gets more, gets drier and more rural the further south you get. So you're just further and further into the middle of the sticks. And we just said, look, it doesn't feel safe. It doesn't feel convenient if we did need to like have an emergency, you know, hey, come get us out. Like this is the spot we just got to call it. So that's wild. That's wild. I, Mark's like, I'm going to do it, James. Uh, <laughs> so Mark will do it. <laughs> I mean, I, I maybe not in the near like year or two, but I, I've, I've got my own. I'm trying to run an Ironman in like at least two. Oh, years, damn. So. <laughs> Uh, he did, he's doing the Missoula Marathon this year. Really? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I'm doing the Missoula Marathon at the end of June. Um, first marathon ever. So That's awesome. It'll yeah, be we'll interesting. I'm a little interested to see how it goes. <laughs> so <laughs> I've never uh, ridden, run a marathon. I, I've got really short legs, so running has never done great for me. I don't, I've never been the fastest. I've never been all that great at it. It just makes me tired and the joke oh. in the bike community is like, if you're running, is your bike broken? Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I definitely will not be the fastest. And I probably will not qualify for the Boston or New York marathon with the pace I'm running. But I think I have a goal set and I think I can hit it. I, I think it's going to be close, but I think I can hit it. That's all that matters. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah, no, those things, people don't realize the preparation that it takes for just any, any event like that. I mean, like you said, I, I like your saddlebags, like the people, mm -hmm. like you're lit, you're living off your bike is what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And your bike's not that big with to begin with. I, no, it's not. Ah, and you're doing it 700, 700 miles, two weeks, you're not showering. Yeah. You're not, you're, well, I guess at the hotels you could, if you want, but yeah, it's like an every other day kind of thing. That's wild, man. I can't it was super that. cool. It was super cool. It was so our would you um, do it again, but at a slower pace, no race? Uh I actually Emily and I have been we've talked since we did it. We want to try it again, 100 percent Um no, because the risk, especially it so it starts in early June, I think is the takeoff time. And in Banff, like that far north that early in spring, you're just risking such shit weather yeah. that like you kind of just have to keep race pace. So what, what I, Emily and I have discussed is rebuilding the bikes to be lighter and faster and just trying to keep race pace hmm. rather wow. than going slower. I would love, I would love to go slower. That was our whole plan was to just tour it and like stop when we're tired, whatever. But it was just so like, I don't care how dry your dry bag is. If it's raining that hard for that long, your tent and your sleeping bag are going to be wet. Yeah. They just are. Mm -hmm. um, and if they aren't when they come out of the bag, they certainly will be when they go back in. Yeah. And then you end up with the moldy tent or like, you know, there's all sorts of problems that can cause. So it's just, it was just miserable weather. Absolutely miserable. And there are people that do it uh, south to north. There's an argument like weather, WEA weather is the argument to, to be made for South North. Because if you go South North, you're into, it's going to be rainy down South too. And like New Mexico, all that area is all like bentonite clay. So you're going to be riding on like peanut butter for the first half of the ride. And then the second half, you might get nice calm or nice mild, balmy, like Canada midsummer weather or you might just get more rain. So like it's, it's, it's a complete gamble. Yeah. I, For sure. I think it's, it's similar it. to like the argument for the PCT, you know, yeah. like everyone does South to North cause it's hottest. It's not as hot in the desert when you're doing it. Um, and then by the time you get to Oregon, Washington, Canada, you know, it's nice weather up here. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, kind of similar but it happens yeah. so much faster the you know two weeks versus what like two months or how it, like i don't know who the fastest pct was yeah but, i don't know what it is but um, have you definitely done the, the pace is vastly different 
Yeah. Have you done any of the PCT? I haven't. I've done a lot of uh, hiking and climbing around the, the Northwest, but I don't really have too much of an interest in doing like endurance hiking. I'll do a little bit of backpacking here and there, but truly like endurance hiking seems like a whole other animal. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't, I've done my only like endurance claim to any kind of fame is uh, climbing three of the cascades so i've i've summited rainier once and taken another um the first time i did rainier i did summit and then i tried again and did not i climbed saint helens shit six or seven times and mount adams once wow you and mark Mark loves climbing those cascades he he likes getting up on top of those too i've done done saint helens um and then i did the south sister too because that's kind of an easy one to do um it's very similar to doing the St. Helens, actually. Um, mm. I've wanted to do Adams and then uh, possibly even Rainier, or I think Mount Hood would be a lot of fun to do too. Yeah, my dad's done that one. I haven't. What? So for Mount Rainier, are you putting on like cleats and shit going up that? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Tell me about that. I, you can tell. It's the Wandering Ways podcast. Uh, yeah, so we did it both times I've done it. Uh, it's been a three-day attempt. Well, I say attempt because the second time I didn't make it, but um, it was a three-day thing. So you go, most people go to Camp Muir as base camp, which you get well above the tree line. It's above that. It's just a snow ramp up to Camp Muir. There's a, um, oh, what was FDR? Oh, like a New Deal. There's like a little New Deal camp. It's a, it's a couple rock huts with uh, log roofs on them that just have bunks in them so you sleep inside that night you go from there to high camp which is around the other side of the mountain so you kind of do this like gradual traverse with a little bit of like rock scramble and you put your crampons on at the bottom of that rock scramble which is really goddamn annoying to put you know hollywood makes you think that crampons are for snow and ice but (laughs) no you put your crampons on right at the bottom of a completely bare like rock face scramble up that and then traverse across and you actually set high camp on a glacier which is pretty cool um and then above that usually there's one or two ladder bridges across crevasses and that's you're roped up for that in like three or occasionally four person teams and then after that it's just a snow ramp you just grind your way to the top oh oh wow and then so if the weather's bad, you'll sleep at high camp again on the way back down. And if the weather's good, you'll go high camp summit and then all the way back down to base camp in one day, which is a long fucking day. That's a yeah. lot, a lot of time on your feet, I will say, but it's a lot more comfortable if you can stand it. I bet. Anyways, I got to be that guy. We are starting to run out of time, uh, but it is time for our final words. So <clears throat> we do this at the end of every podcast. Uh, it's final words. You can say literally anything you want. If you have a PSA, a poem, a short story, whatever you would like, this is the time to say it. Um, and since you are our guest today, James, uh, I want to let you go first. So final words, my guy. I don't have anything as fun as a poem, but I just want to thank you guys for for letting me relive some of this stuff, you know? Like, whenever you might know whenever you do something you're proud of or or whatever your friends and family get tired of hearing about it after about the first week so it's <laughs> it's nice to be given an excuse to talk about it oh yeah this podcast we uh none of our family listens like we'll ask them <laughs> so we'll talk shit like there's episodes on here where i just talk shit about like and i, I know jared will listen to this one so he'll hear it but there's episodes where i talk just shit about him and he's like you didn't bring that up it's been like six months man so i will say hello jared then yeah you know. <laughs> awesome final words my guy thank you james i just want to thank you first for coming on we really do appreciate it. we love talking you know cool things i know mark's a big mountain biker uh mark's gonna have to tell uh, his bike here at the end you haven't you haven't said it yet i've been i've been waiting for you to say what kind of bike you have because i don't i don't know oh. uh, i don't know bike lingo um but i definitely go find your hobby you know both you guys love to get outdoors go biking go hiking go see good things you know i just today i was jeeping that's part of the hobby you know i mean i wasn't jeeping i, I was getting down and 
fucking doing nothing today. I was watching Hayden Well. <laughs> but <laughs> well it's if, anybody, if anybody's listening in the uh, Billings area, get out and ride some trails. We got some good ones. Calman is in our everyday backpacker. I'm not sure if you know who he works up at base camp. He, uh, Oh, cool. No, I don't hiker. I don't know if he bikes. I know he, 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 he's a hiker, but yeah, I don't know. He, yeah. listen, he listens in sometimes. I think, I hope he said he did. Yeah. I hope so too. <laughs> Just kidding. All right, Reverend. Um, Reverend final words wisdom. First James, thank you so much for coming on today. It was a blast to uh, talk biking. I don't get to talk biking too much. So anytime I get to, um, it's an absolute hoot and a holler. Uh, that Continental Divide trip uh, tour sounds nuts um, for sure. That was super cool to hear about. Um, I can't thank you enough uh, for coming on. It was an absolute pleasure. Stay beautiful out there, everybody. Go out there, have some fun, do something you like, and get out moving. Enjoy the sunshine. Summer is coming. It's going to get too hot, maybe. Or maybe not hot enough. We don't know. Hopefully no fires. Um, but with that being said, peace out, everybody. Bye.